Exodus chapter 1, the whole chapter will be our text for this afternoon. Exodus chapter 1, shouldn't be hard to find. Second book of the Bible. Thanks of God, this is the word of the Lord. Give it just full attention. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Asakar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher. All the persons who came from the lions of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, and all his brothers and that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from land, the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh's storage cities, Fithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, the more they spread out, the more or they were dread in the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard work and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field. All their labors, which they rigorously imposed on them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra, and the other was named Puta. And he said, when you were helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put to death or put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the Hebrew midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife came to get them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mightly. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile. And every daughter you are alive, you are to keep alive. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. question for you, saints. Do you remember the good old days? Do you remember the good old days? What were those days like for you? I can remember those days very vividly. Some of us will be with our families this Thursday for Thanksgiving, and I can remember as a child the great anticipation I had for that day. And saints, what I anticipated the most was not eating turkey, 
was not eating pumpkin pie, but it was playing with my cousins and seeing all of my family members, being with all of my uncles and hearing the jokes and and watching my auntie uh, beat everyone in the card game speed. I miss, saints of God, those days. I miss playing at my Grandpa Nick's house. And when we would play too hard, you know, my Grandpa Nick had this basketball court that was somehow attached to a tree. And it was low to the ground, so even the smallest person like myself could dunk it. And, and you, 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 when you slam it too hard, you come outside and he just give you the look. And you go back inside. Oh, I miss those days. Days now are different, very different from what they were. What happened? What happened? Well, saints of God, like all things, stay with me now, it's okay. Like all things that change, death happened. Everything changed when my two grandpas passed away. And then things got a little bit worse when my father passed away. And I think the final nail in the coffin was when my beloved Grandma Kuka went away. Things now are not what they used to be. I'm now left with only having memories of those days I once called good. Now, saints, I'm not telling you all this to sing you a sad song. But that is the backdrop That is the context of what we find the Israelites in as we come to Exodus chapter 1. The good old days are gone. You see it in our text, do you not? It gives us, or rather after it gives us the names of Joseph and all of his brothers, it says in verse 6, And Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that was in that generation. Joseph's generation has gone. The days of prominence are no more. Joseph's dead. The man that we watched grow up before our very eyes. The man that from Genesis chapter 37 to chapter 50 took us on an emotional roller coaster. The man that taught us how to be virtuous. When Potiphar's wife came knocking at the door. The man that taught us how to have faith in the Lord as he is thrown into slavery and then later thrown into jail. The man who taught us what true forgiveness looks like when he finally sees his brothers, the ones who made his life miserable. Joseph. Joseph, that mighty man is now dead, along with all his brothers, along with all those in that generation. Israel, like myself, is now only left with good memories of what things used to be. Passing moments of how life was. Do you remember Joseph? The one who looked out for us. Did you remember, do you remember Joseph? It was because of him, we Israelites, although, although we were low in number, 
We had a privileged position in Egypt. We were treated with class, with honor, with respect, with dignity. But now we are slaves. Church, can you sympathize a little bit with the feeling of the Israelites at the time? You maybe not have held a privileged position in the land or anything like that, but but maybe maybe a death has happened in your life that has changed your life. That you can say, because of this person's death, things ain't what it used to be. Saints of God, I want you to feel what they're feeling. I want you to feel what these Israelites are going through. Because at this time in Israel's history, they are no longer seen as a privileged people. But now they are slaves. There is no longer, saints of God, a prince in Egypt named Joseph. But now there's a pharaoh. What's the big deal? There was pharaohs before. Not like this pharaoh. Not like this pharaoh. This pharaoh is not like the pharaoh who loved Joseph and Joseph's people. Our text says in verse 8, this king did not know Joseph. Now, that doesn't mean that this pharaoh didn't know of Joseph. Of course, this pharaoh knew Joseph. This pharaoh has read the history books. He understands. He remembers. He's heard about uh, Joseph. But rather, when it says that Pharaoh didn't know Joseph, it means that this Pharaoh had no regard for Joseph. It means that this Pharaoh knew of Joseph, but he didn't respect Joseph. You see, church, how Israel's world has just turned upside down. Do you see it? It was because of Joseph and Joseph's name. And because they were associated with Joseph, they were a privileged people. But now, because of Joseph's name and because they are associated with Joseph, they are slaves. Their world is turned upside down. This Pharaoh had no regard for Joseph. Thereby, he felt no sense of obligation towards Joseph's descendants. Throughout the history of man, we have seen many evil leaders. You can think of Hitler. You can think of Stalin. You can think of the, the Kim family who has ruled North Korea with an iron fist. But saints, you must know that these men are not men of the 19th and 20th century. They're not 19th and 20th century inventions. They are not the newest dictators who ever stepped on the scene. And what we learn from Exodus 1 and what we see in this Pharaoh is that there is really nothing new under the sun. The same harsh labor that the Kim family has and continues to inflict upon North Koreans, we see in this Pharaoh. The, the same ethnic genocide that Hitler, Sudan Hussein, that Stalin performed on people we see in this Pharaoh. Can't you see the evil in saints of God? Just, just oozing from the description of Pharaoh in verse 10, 
He tells his fellow Egyptians, come, let us deal, it says wisely, shrewdly with them. Verse 11, so they appointed taskmasters over them to oppress them. 13 and 14, the Egyptians used violence to compel the sons of Israel to labor. They made their lives bitter with hard labor. All kinds of labor in the field. All kinds of labor that they were dealt violently upon them. I know it's hard for us to, to say, you know, and, and, and really um, um, have sympathy for them because we've never even been through something like this. The saints of God, the question that I had while studying this text was, was what was Pharaoh's motives for such evil tactics? Why was he oppressing the people? Not with verbal, but with violence. Physical harm. What was his reason? Why does he hate the Israelites so much? Well, thank God, the word of God gives us the answer. Verse 7. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increasing greatly and became exceedingly mighty. Like most dictators. This new Pharaoh was insecure and paranoid. Like most uh, egotistical leaders. This Pharaoh was a little bit nervous of what this small people could become. The more the Israelites grew in number, the more Pharaoh would look and envision that his strength would diminish in number. In fact, saints of God, our text says that he even thought that if the enemies of Egypt attacked Egypt, then Israel would not come to the aid of Egypt, but Israel will actually come to the aid of Egypt's enemies. But beyond this, these are just boring political reasons. Beyond this, though, there's also a spiritual reason as well. You see, saints of God, like all dictators, Pharaoh believed that he was a god. Not a God. The God. He claimed to be the incarnation of Ray. The sun God. And, you know, Egyptians, like Hindus, they had a number of gods. They do a number of things. But the sun God. The sun God was the highest of their deities. The sun God was the main God in the myriad of gods. He was the top god. And Pharaoh believed that he was the top god in the flesh. And here is where the conflict is seen. Because church, although this Pharaoh knew not Joseph. He knew the god that Joseph's people worshipped. Again, although this Pharaoh knew not Joseph. He knew the God that Joseph's people worshipped. He's heard stories of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not unaware of the one whom Joseph loved. He, he does not, don't think that he doesn't know that Israel gives their allegiance not to these pantheon of deities that Egypt worships, but, but they give their allegiance to one God. Israelites 
Pharaoh knew would not bow down to Pharaoh. They would not bow down to this reincarnation of the sun god. <laughs> they will not bow down to Egypt's myriad of gods. Because Israel had their own god. Israel had their own god. And their god, despite of what you say about Israel, is our god. Their god, the one that has chosen them and loved on them, is the god whom we serve. Our god is not the god of the sun and of the moon. He's not the god of the grain or the wind or the air. He's not the god of war or hunting. They sound weird, but saints of God, those are the Egyptian gods. He is not these type of gods, but, but the Bible says that our God is the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. That our God is the God who asked Job, where were you when I lay the foundation of the earth? Our God is the one who says in Isaiah, I am the Lord. There is no one else. There is no God except me. I thought I was going to get a better amen than that. But there is no God except me. I say this to you a lot, church. I'm going to keep saying it. But aren't you so glad? Does not bring joy to your heart. That the God who you worship is not an imaginary God. I don't know if you've ever even pondered that before in your life. But the God who you worship. Is not the God of Islam. It's not the God of Hinduism. But the God who you worship is the true and living God. Amen. I remember hearing one pastor say, if I found out at the end, as I get to heaven or whatever the lasting place would be, that the God who I served wasn't real, I would still say, it was all worth it. Had a great life. Oh, don't amen that. Don't amen that. That's not an amen moment. He's essentially saying that that if all I did in this life and I found out at the end it was a wasteful life, then I would say to myself, it was not a wasteful life. How would you amen that? Why would he even say that? Because does he remember? Has he not read? That St. Paul tells us that if Christ is not raised, if Christ is not raised, then we are the most to be pitied. If Christ is not raised, then we should be laughed at. If Christ is not raised, saints of God, if we found out in the end that the God whom right now you are giving your worship to, and you come Sunday after Sunday to give honor to, if you found out in the end that that God and all of what you were doing was for nothing, then saints of God, you are the fools and not the atheists. You are the fools. If what you are doing here, whom you are singing to, whom you are praying to, it's just a figment of your own imagination. If the God who we serve Turned out to be the God of our imagination. But saints of God, I got some good news to tell you today. I got some real good news to tell you today. Hopefully I'll get an amen from this. That you are not a fool. That you are not the most to be pitied. That you are not wasting your life. 
And you are not wasting your time right now. For the God who you worship is real. Young people, hear me now. Hear me now. The, The God that your mommy and daddy worship is real. This ain't no fairy tale. This ain't no make believe. I don't like waking up early. And I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for the God whom we worship. He is the true and living God. He's not the God of our imagination. He's not the God of fairy tales. But he's the true and living God. And you see it in our text. You see in our text that Pharaoh, though, Pharaoh, though, he has no regard for the true and living God. Therefore, he has no regard for the messenger of God, Joseph. Therefore, he has no regard for the descendants of the messenger of God, Israel. He has no regard for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But have you noticed, church, have you noticed this? That Exodus 1 presents to us a myriad of names. But did you notice, just like Pastor Antonio said this morning, we don't get Pharaoh's name. How come we don't know the date and the hour or the time? But we don't get Pharaoh's name. We get all these other names. But why can't I get Pharaoh's name? I must ask, did Moses forget Pharaoh's name? Did did, did he forget to pin Pharaoh's name? Did he forget to record Pharaoh's name? Why don't we know Pharaoh's name? Well, simply put, the answer is this. Pharaoh's name doesn't matter. Pharaoh's name doesn't matter. It says the date, the time, the hour, the seconds don't matter. Pharaoh's name doesn't matter. Pharaoh's name doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what his first name was, what his middle name was, what his last name was, if he had kids, if he didn't have kids, who his wife was, who his mom was, who his dad was. No, 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 no. What the Bible wants us to connote today, what the Bible is concerned about is not what Pharaoh's name is. But who Pharaoh represents. Again, let me tell you. It doesn't matter what Pharaoh's name is. What matters is who he represents. Pharaoh is Satan. Pharaoh is Satan. That's who Pharaoh is. Pharaoh is Satan. No, not literally the incarnate Satan. He is not Satan in the flesh. But 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 all of what Satan is. All of what Satan embodies, all of what Satan wants, we see in this Pharaoh. What does Satan want? He wants power. He wants worship. We see that in Pharaoh. We see in this Pharaoh, which which means, saints, hear me now, it was not Pharaoh ruling Egypt. It was Satan that was ruling Egypt. It was not Pharaoh pulling the strings. It was Satan using Pharaoh to pull the strings. Pharaoh then. Pharaoh then is just a puppet. He's just an actor in Satan's play. He's just an instrument of Satan. And what this teaches us, church, is that what we see in Exodus and what we will have unfold before us is not a battle between Egypt and Israel. It is not a battle between Moses and Pharaoh. But what we have in Exodus is a battle between God and Satan. That's what we have before our eyes. It's a battle between good and evil. Simply put, it's Genesis 
played out for us on a grand and epic scale. You, you remember, saints of God. I will put enmity between you and the woman. You remember, saints of God, that the seed of the serpents will, will go to war with the seed of the woman. You remember that the sons of Satan will be at war with the sons of God. You think this battle is over, though? You think it stopped? When all of Pharaoh's armies were drowned, you think it stopped? You think it was over when Christ resurrected from the dead? You think the battle between good and evil is, is, is over, saints of God? I'll tell you what Pastor Antonio told you the other day. The battle ain't over. Satan wants you. Satan wants your kids. Satan wants you. He will not stop. The battle ain't over. Because Christ was raised from the dead, Satan has not laid down his guns and waved the white flag. The war is still going on. Consider with me the evil genius of Satan in verse 15. How sly, how cunning he is. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. One of them was named was Shipra, and the other was named was Pua. And he said... When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon their book, uh, birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it's a daughter, let him live. Oh, Satan, so evil, so evil but, and so sly, is he not? You, you can see him slithering over to, to these Hebrew midwives. And telling them to perform the most grossest act that one could ever perform. Up to this point, Pharaoh is having no luck. He's frustrated. He's actually really, really mad right now. He's having no luck because, because the people of Israel are growing in population. Whatever he's doing and whatever task he appoints them to do, it doesn't work. They just keep having babies and keep growing larger and larger. His plan of oppressing people with hard work isn't working. So what does he do? He does what America has done. He moves to a quicker, quicker solution. He moves to plan B. He moves to something that will get the job done in twice the time. He moves to ethnic genocide. So, he goes to these Hebrew midwives. Hear me, church. He essentially says, you know, Hebrew midwives, these Israelites are growing too large in number. So I want to open up a few plant parenthoods. I, 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 I want you to kill Every baby boy you see. Do you notice, saints of God, the evil genius of Satan? He goes to these Hebrew midwives, demanding that they cooperate with his plan. Saints of God, please hear me today. This is a warning for us. This is a warning for you. 
This is a warning for your children. Because Satan knows that if he cannot destroy you with oppression, then he'll move to plan B and destroy you by cooperation. Whenever Satan can't get you from the outside, then he will seek to get us from the inside. When Satan knows that he can't take you down on his own, what will he do then? Then he'll try to pull you in and make you cooperate with your own destruction. Oh, hear me. He will pull you in and make you cooperate so that you will destroy yourself. Can't you see something of the world in this evil Pharaoh? Can't you see it, saints? For so long the church has stood on the Bible and said that marriage is between a biological man and a biological woman. Now we got churches with rainbow signs in front of their doors that say all are welcomed. And they don't mean all are welcome in the sense of you can come here and sit down. We welcome your ideology. We welcome your vain philosophy. We welcome the lies of Satan. We got churches, or rather Christians today. Can you believe this? Can you have, can you believe this? We got Christians today debating, actually debating whether a woman has superiority over the baby that's in her womb. Christians are debating that. Not two unbelievers, people within the own church are debating these things. And I ask myself, church, how did we get here? How did we get here? How are we so far removed from what the Bible says? I'll tell you how, church. Because the church has been cooperating with Pharaoh. That is how. Because the church... Because Christians have been cooperating with Pharaoh. Can't you see it, saints? Can you not see it in our world today? That Satan has infiltrated our medical industry. Ironic, isn't it? That we got doctors who say that they uphold life while at the same time advocating taking life. We we got Satan that has infiltrated the justice system. Or the equality of all people is to be upheld except when there's a person in the woman's womb. <clears throat> what we see in the church today, saints of God, are Christians giving in to Satan's demands. Christians are cooperating with Satan's requests. So church, what do we do then? What do we do? What, what do we do when, when Satan comes with his lies? What is the church to do? Let's allow the woman to teach us. Let's allow the woman to teach us. Verse 17, but the midwives feared God. Feared God. And did not do what the king of Edom commanded. Now I love this little part here. But let the boys live. Let the boys live. Oh, I love verses like this, church. Can, can you see the scene in front of you? The midwives have before them the most powerful man in the face of the earth, demanding that they do the most 
ugliest, nastiest, heinous crime in all of the earth. In the Bible, we see many heroes of the faith. Many heroes. Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Peter, Paul, I can go on and on. But church, can I add two more names to that list? Can I add two more names? Can I add the names of Shipra and Pua? Can I add the names of two women in the long line of men that God has used? That God has used? Amen, women. There's a lot that we can learn from the men of the Bible. But women, if you don't say amen to this, but there's a lot more we can learn from the women in the Bible. A lot we can learn from the women in the Bible. Mary, Rachel, Deborah, Hannah, Esther, Ruth, and Shipra, and Pua. Church, what makes these women so special? That in the face of evil, they chose not to succumb to darkness, but chose to follow the light. That in the face of hate, they chose love. Can't you see, saints of God? He may be gone, but Joseph's fingerprints are all over verse 17. Can't you see it? Joseph may be gone, but the, but the virtues of that great man can be seen in the generation that came after him. Oh, these men, or rather these women like Joseph, these women like Joseph, chose to fear the Lord over giving in to sexual pleasure when Potiphar's wife stepped into the room. These women like Joseph, when he saw his brothers for the first time, chose to preserve life rather than hand out death. Yes, church, Joseph may be gone. He may be out of the picture. But the same Holy Spirit that lived in Joseph lived in Shifra and Pua. These women did not bow down to the pressures of this evil dictator. These women did not fear what the repercussions would be if they disobeyed Pharaoh. No, 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 no. They feared the Lord. They feared the Lord. I don't know if you've heard that, saints of God, lately. But there is such thing as Christians fearing the Lord. As I was preparing this sermon, a thought hit me. A thought hit me, saints. I said to myself, I said to myself, saints of God, maybe if we had some more Shifra and Pua type Christians, then, then more Christians would be standing up for gay marriage. Maybe if we had some more Shifra and Pua type Christians, that we wouldn't be debating whether a baby and a woman's belly is a human being. Maybe if we had some more Shifra and Pua type Christians, that the church would care less if they got canceled. They would care less if they were marginalized. They would care less if they were outcast by society when they don't comply. Church, we don't need to forsake the God of the Bible in order to make the world happy. We don't need to forsake what the Bible says in order for the world or to please the world. I got to tell you, church, in the day that we were living in today, this hurts me to say, but I got to say it. We might not need more theologians. 
We might not need God to raise up more R.C. Sproul's, John Calvin's, John Owen's, or Charles Spurgeon's. But in the world that we're living in today, we need God to raise up more Shifra and Pua's. That's what we need in the world today. Young people, if you want to be like someone, be like Christ. And also, on the side, be like these two midwives, Shifra and Pua. Saints of God, we need more God-fearers. We need more God-fearers over worldly pleasers. We need more Christians that fear God over fearing man. Saints of God, we need more God-fearers over worldly compromisers. That's what we need. Hear me now, congregation. If you're ever in a situation where you have to choose on whether to obey God or not obey God, let me tell you that the safest thing to do is to obey God. The safest thing to do is to obey God. And let me say this also to your church. You might hear in my sermon some political undertones. But please, church, don't let me don't 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 get what I'm telling you confused. I'm not a Republican. I'm not. And I'm not a Democrat. I'm not an independent. I'm a preacher. I'm not pushing on you a political agenda. These are not political talking points. What I'm telling you is God's word. I don't identify myself with a blue party that can't make up their mind on whether they want to obey God or not obey God. And I don't identify myself with a red party that constantly and continuously spits on the law of God. Saints of God, I identify myself as a Christian who believes that the Bible doesn't make any mistakes. I identify myself as a Christian who believes that the Bible is incapable of making a mistake. I'm a Christian that believes that God's word is exactly that. God's word. No, 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 no. The Bible may not be able to teach me how to change a diaper. The Bible may not be able to teach me how to change the oil in my car. But the Bible does teach me how to love my neighbor. The Bible does teach me the way to the Father. The Bible does teach me, saints of God, many things. It teaches me, saints of God, that there is only one way to the Father. And that is through, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Saints of God, it can teach us many things. The Bible can teach the church many things. And if you really want to see change in this world, congregation... If you really want babies to stop being murdered, if you really want the sanctity of marriage to be upheld, saints of God, don't put your faith in a house. Don't put your faith in a Senate. Don't put your faith in a president. Put your faith in the God who says the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power unto salvation. That's how change happens. I thank God, church, for the mighty women of the Bible. I thank God, church, for women like Shifra and Pua, because they fear God. They fear God. If there's one thing we need to know today, saints, one thing that we need to cultivate in our lives, especially in the climate that we are living in today, fear God. Fear God. And because they fear God. Verse 20 and 21 say this. So God was good to the midwives. So God was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very mighty. And because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. 
I'm not a prosperity preacher by any means. But I will say, if you do good to God, God will do good to you. If you do good to God, God will do good to you, saints. Meaning, saints of God, you're God-fearing. It ain't going unnoticed. It means, saints of God, you walking and talking like a Christian. The Lord takes delight in and blesses you. Pastor Antonio, if you're hearing me now, you paying for that person's car wash ain't going unnoticed. And here's my message for you this afternoon. In the world that we are currently living in, with the pressures from society to renounce the word of God, with laws that are passed that are forcing us to comply, fear God, like Shifra and Pua. Fear God. Yes, we can amen it. It's hard to put to practice that amen, is it not? Oh, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. But there is someone that you owe your allegiance to that does not live in this world. There is someone greater, saints of God, that is above our own president, any king, any emperor, our boss, ourselves. You might say, well, how do I fear God, preacher? How do I fear God? It's easier than how it sounds. Fearing God doesn't mean that you're scared of God. Doesn't mean that at all. Doesn't mean that you're scared of God like how I'm scared of snakes, how I'm scared of spiders. Fearing God means simply this. Love God. That's what that means. Fearing God means you love God. And you fear, you fear this. You fear of distancing yourself from him. You fear that if I give into this, I will distance myself from this good God. That's what that means, saints of God. That's what that means. And this is what Sifra and Pua teach us in Exodus 1. What happens next in the story? In closing, what happens next? Pharaoh is angry, as you would expect. Very, very angry. Verse 22, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, every son who was born, you are thrown in the Nile. But every daughter you shall keep alive. There is now, saints of God, a worldwide hit on every single baby boy that is born in Egypt. Every single baby boy is on a wanted poster in Pharaoh's room. All baby boys will be thrown in the Nile. But there is one baby boy. There is one baby boy who will come out from the Nile. There is one baby boy who will be drawn from the water, who will later lead God's people through the water. In four weeks, church, I know it's a long time, but in four weeks, we will be introduced to a man named Moses. And he, he will change the history of Israel forever. Let's pray.